the theme for the evening talk is turning points. <coughs> At times we find ourselves in various modes of uh, quiet reflection. And we have the capacity to turn our mind's eye back to the past and distant events. And of all the sheer diversity of experiences which have occurred to us on the day-to-day -day level, it might be that a handful of those stand out for us. And, and it's not as though we necessarily choose that particular time or moment or uh, experience, but just in the kind of configuration of events of our life, a few things stand out for us. Sometimes, of course, what does stand out uh, is related to a fairly dramatic event and circumstance which pushes our life in fresh directions. And we have seen that movement and that shift in our consciousness, in our priorities and circumstances, and we've recognized that place and point in time. But also, and equally, it can be that the innocuous events of our life, the, the things which one hardly noticed at the time, which didn't seem particularly significant. It could be just anything from the leaves blowing in the, in the wind of a tree to the few, few lines of a book or a, a, a one word which somebody has said to us or one has said to somebody else. And in the touch of that moment, in those circum circumstances, seemingly unimportant, having no long-term impact, it actually becomes one of significance and importance to us. And we perhaps have wondered to ourselves, what is it that's gone on inwardly in our psyche, in our heart and mind, where there has been a kind of receptivity and a registration of a circumstance, major or minor, profound or insignificant, that touched us in a way and moved us in a way which you and I have valued and, and appreciated. And just a very small uh, um, uh, um, inc incident. Um, in 1967, uh, but actually this, yeah, wow, he says, <laughs> we can both remember back that far, can't we, Jose? Uh, and I had done, joined the, uh, the uh, hippie trail to uh, India, as quite a number of others did, which travelled at that time through Europe, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and into India. And in India, I found myself in uh, Saranath, in North India, where uh, the Buddha two and a half thousand years ago gave his first teachings on striking and discovering and realizing the importance of the middle way in life between self-indulgence and self-hatred, and finding that middle way which is insightful and liberating. And while, while there, I just picked up a small little booklet, and perhaps Others of you are similar 
uh, can recall similar things. And there's just two or three lines in this uh, booklet about the Buddha's teaching. And one of them was to live a life free from clinging. Simple thing, live a life free from clinging. And the simple home truth of that. And the other was the importance of ditte dharma. Ditte means view, dharma means thing, or whatever. Ditte dharma, view of a thing, contemporary language, being here and now. Ditte dharma, abiding in the view of things, abiding in the view of the moment, and non-clinging. And perhaps through being on the road, living out of the backpack, degree of simplicity of, of life, it made whatever, immediate common sense and registered well and deeply, if I may say at that time, that it was a definite and specific influence in days, weeks, months and uh, years uh, later as it has continued to be and none of that with any meditation or anything else abiding in the view of a thing and not clinging in that abiding. And in that, as I say, it's a turning point. <clears throat> Why was there <clears throat> that interest? Why was there that receptivity? How, how do I explain that to myself or to anybody else? And one simply cannot, or that one can trust in, that it's made a difference, and that difference is appreciated. And <clears throat> to a degree, and perhaps an important and significant degree, there is a kind of awareness with that meditative focus that you and I have been and are engaging in during these days, which is contributing to an enhancement of consciousness, an enhancement to bring about greater receptivity, to be able to see more clearly, to be able to recognise and cognise what matters, and equally to feel the authority through one's experience of acting upon it. To see, to feel the authority of one's experience to act upon. And, and that in a situation of these days here, it can be during the time as we come to the closing period of the retreat, one might say, as some people say, do you know, I've been here seven days, or however long it is, uh, one has been here, and I haven't had a single insight. <laughs> I've heard of insight meditation. <laughs> I have a vague idea what meditation might be, and I think it's something to do with being a little bit more still, a little bit more calm, a little bit more mindful, or whatever. But insight, what's, what's this? In, in, insight, why couldn't they just have called it Meditation Society, MS for short, and, um, <laughs> and I would have felt much more at home and much more obvious, it's because looking around it's a kind of MS, and, uh, <laughs> and, but there is this insight, what is this, what is this uh, uh, insight? And in an odd sort of way, because nothing is ever quite as obvious and as, and as clear, for a person to say with conviction and clarity, look, I've been here these seven days and I've really had no insight, is a great insight. 
It is a wonderful insight to have. Now what do you do with that? So, and then one may, may say, well, that doesn't feel like an insight. It, it feels like a tragic observation of my life. <laughs> so there can be the expressions and formations or, and touching of various experiences which go on for oneself. And one may not be able to see, to understand, to make sense in, in all of that. And thus it can be that between experience and insight, there is an actual time gap. There is a period of time before the seeing, the understanding, the connection with really occurs. And so in the sheer diversity of all that's happened in our days here, here together, the insight, the realisation, realisation meaning making authentic and therefore making real something which is worthwhile. That is realisation. It makes it real, it makes it authentic. That in the time between experience and insight and realisation, there can be quite some considerable time lapses. Because it doesn't work to rotor. It doesn't work in a mechanical order. It works in its own mysterious, organic way. And perhaps you and I have had the uh, experience again, where between the arising of an event in our life and its recognition, acknowledgement and insight, sometimes years can go by. And we have to make allowances between events which happen to us and the insights, the understanding, the realisation of the validity of um, between present to future. And it might well be that the odd thought that you had about something here which seemed rather unimportant and trivial to you, or a certain impact um, upon you uh, here, or just something which somebody else said in a small group, or which Shada or Jose and I mentioned, or coming from within, that the realisation of that, the authenticity uh, of that may not be immediately available to any of us and therefore one is quietly patient with things to let things in their beneficial way bear fruit in their own time. And some of us, I don't know for myself, things which I heard and listened to to 5, 10, 20, 15, 30 years ago or whatever, as I'm sure for others, sometimes it, it's in certain situations there's that bringing together of the circumstances and ah, now I see, now I understand, now it's clear there. And that it depends on the quality of our practice, the quality of our interest in our awareness and consciousness, which deepens significantly and profoundly a receptivity. And let, never let us enter into any way of, of life and activity which threatens that kind of receptivity and that kind of alertness to existence. It's unfair on ourselves and as much a disservice to existence. In turning points and in the um, impact which these turning points uh, ha have upon us, I had spoken um, briefly, and perhaps I might just expand a little bit 
uh, further when we address and look at our own, own life, that uh, the concept of uh, stream entry, stream entry, very important, fairly central kind of uh, concept in the, in the tradition. And that turning point, which is a very distinctive one uh, in life, in which there is no falling back to the old. I touched on this very, very briefly. And in our experience and in our understanding of ourselves and looking at, at ourselves, it includes in, in that a confidence and an understanding in one's own well-being and in one's own psyche, in fact, that one can't fall or slide in any way to what in Dharma language is called hell, what in contemporary language is called um, abnormal states of psychology, which one can't free oneself from. And as we know, there are too many people terribly and deeply unhappy and who are falling into these various conditions of abnormal psychology and are simply stuck and trapped in that, in very, very painful and distressing uh, ways. And that aspect from the stand, Dharma standpoint of that turning of the corner or entering the, the stream, one knows well and deeply inside of oneself that no matter what the circumstances of life bring, one is um, protected, one might say, from, from that. But of course, in terms of meditation and in other circumstances of life, it can be that thoughts arise. And sometimes the thoughts which arise out of, out of the mind can be quite distressing. And under pressure or tension or uncertainty, thoughts can arise, perhaps, you know, I'm going crazy. Perhaps my, I'm going to lose my mind. Perhaps it, it's going to go out of control. And those kind of thoughts can arise that require, obviously, certain conditions for them to uh, arise. And the importance with all of that, particularly in these circumstances, that we can forget what an extraordinarily safe, caring, loving and protected space that people are in. And how much support each and every one of us gives to each other to realise that which is of a liberated and free life. And sometimes, of course, even in this world that we, you and I live in, not every spot and every place, including centres, is absolutely safe and absolutely uh, protected. Life obviously isn't like that, but as a reasonable guideline, it gives tremendous support. And when a person and gets into great strife and stress, as it sometimes happens in centres and, and f facilities. There has been, within the Dharma community, tremendous output of concern and energy and love, and finding ways and skillful ways to give support to people who, as it were, touch the place of hellishness, or whatever it might be, and help the person through and out of that kind of um, descent into all those difficulties. So again, coming back to the same point, in abiding in the view, in that awareness and receptivity, it begins to reveal to us, as a turning point in our life, that we begin to see 
and notice others with the same kind of awareness and sensitivity that we wish to give to ourselves. It's as though the concern of others is a concern of ourselves. And that demonstrates in places like this, in countless circumstances. So awareness, in a non-clinging way, deepens the receptivity, which brings out of oneself, naturally and organically, an intimacy with what is around us. A closeness with what is around us. And a closeness which isn't threatening, but one is natural and appreciative of. During the days here, we have gone from gradual, specific focus, using form, method and technique, and Shada and Jose and the instructions to have gone day by day, and one might say there's an expansion which has taken place. <clears throat> we focus on the specific, called the breath, we expand it out to body and sound and opening up there and we say in the abiding instruction a, a choiceless awareness, an expansive awareness. We've used loving-kindness awareness towards ourselves and towards others. And if you and I look at our life, we could say, well, in terms of meditation life, oh, one has more form to it, method, technique, being with the breath, posture, etc. And the other one is more towards formlessness. One carries form and one carries formlessness. Sometimes in that we can rather easily make a hierarchy. And we say, well, the form meditation practice is a kind of foundation and then we expand out our practice and then we get to a formless practice. But that's not the case at all. Simply because in your relationship existence and mine, you and I find ourselves in various forms every day. I'm sitting here, I'm in the form of the teacher. When I'm uh, at home with um, my uh, teenage daughter, I'm in the form of the, form of the father. When, mercifully, I'm out of these two uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, forms, and I'll have about 12 hours of that from tomorrow night till Monday morning, <laughs> that when that, then I'm not in that form. And so the world of form through roles and the world out of form through not being in a role, a formless situation, is of course common to each and every one of us. Meditation, equally, has its forms, a method and technique. And our daily lives, we have the form of our work, the form of our study, the form of our attention, which focuses on the specific at the exclusion of the general. All of us know this. We focus on the specific at the exclusion of the general. And we need to. It's a power of mind to, to do that. And at times, we are extremely grateful that we don't have to focus on the specific. We'd go nuts. Some people do. <laughs> Who are so attached to abiding in the view of focusing on the specific in a clinging way, the mind cannot tolerate it. And we know all the personal social consequences of this. 
whether it's through a role and clinging to another person or to a work or to a study or to a meditation method and technique. Meditation never did any harm to any mind on earth. But clinging, oh goodness me, <laughs> it's another ball game altogether. And so sometimes we misconstrue. We think, oh, meditation did this to this person. Meditation doesn't even have that capacity. Meditation is the light which reveals. But when that light is lost, forgotten, neglected, misunderstood, it get, the substitute becomes clinging, desire, tension, pressure, willpower, holding, grasping, etc. And of course, under that, in the psyche, anything can happen. And sometimes related to the form of the relationship. To the form of the relationship. And so we say, we address as well as clearly as we can, okay, form is, belongs to my existence. I'm finding form many hours, many times of my day. What's my relationship to form? What is the liberation in form? And sometimes we say, in this form, well, I feel very tight, I feel stuck. I, I need to expand out. And we try to make, in our modest way, allowances and acknowledge that through the form of the retreat and, as you know, a certain ex opening and expanding out. Plus, not being a heavy-duty regime in people sometimes wishing to be more formless in the totality of the retreat, which is one's right as well, of course. In the formless, What's the formless also saying to us? It's an abiding, yes. It's a non-clinging, yes. And it's a receptivity, yes. And in the suffusing of the heart, such as the loving-kindness meditations, or in that pure receptivity, something is happening from within which is opening itself out to life. Something is coming from within, a kind of receptivity or a heartfulness, which is extending itself to what we have contact with. With our eyes, our ears, nose, tongue, touch, thought, feeling, or whatever. Something is coming through to touch, and we say, this is a choiceless awareness. This is an expansive awareness. The risk is, in that expansive awareness, we can begin to wander, drift, space out, get out of touch and stop abiding with a thing. Stop abiding with anything and get caught up and lost. And it's a statement and a reflection of our life. And some of you know and have been reporting here during the small groups, one-to-one -one inquiries or, or whatever, how it, easy it can be that one's got a certain degree of comfort in one's life, some of you have. Some of you have been reporting certain privileges which give you time to explore uh, new things. But in that formless expansiveness, it can seem quite threatening. 
And one's mind is saying to oneself, I've got this period, I've got this openness, I've got this expansiveness, I have this choiceness and awareness, but I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> and, and one is kind of questing for some people to look and find a form for one's life which is respectful to one's inner life. In other words, to find an integrated life which acknowledges the place of form and the place of formlessness. And if we don't have that well integrated, our life seems to be an ongoing difficulty. And therefore we need to look and say, how is my life in relationship to the forms of life? How is my existence when I'm out of the forms? And we can easily, in these circles, misunderstand that and we reduce what we've been doing over the days to a view, an opinion, that we're just concerned with method and technique. Miss the point by a mile. You say, oh well, I did this method and technique called meditating on the breath, called meditating on the body. Then I reduced the number of methods and techniques which I used. And I opened out, and now it's a technique-less, and now it's just choiceless awareness, just an expansive openness or whatever. And I did this technique, and then I did that. Oh, I found that one quite interesting, and then I tried that for a while. That was quite nice. Or, well, I think I'll, I'm not quite sure which one I'll do in this sitting. I'll maybe a little bit of both and then top it up with some meta at the end. <laughs> missing. Easily, but missing in, in fact that form, formlessness and kindness is what our existence is about. It's the story of our life is going on in there. The relationship to the life the way of being of life is intimately and inseparably related to form, to formlessness and the condition of the heart. And it would be a pity if any of us kind of slid into a, a simplified, oversimplified view, it's just method and technique. It isn't. Never, never, never. Sometimes we take within ourselves and with the exposure to teachings and practices and some of you have a, a great deal of experience uh, in the world of contemplative life some of you here have sat many retreats uh, over the years some of you here have sat three months retreats you've had a, a wide uh, exposure not only to uh, teachers and teachings at Insight Meditation here, but also in other traditions, both in uh, the Buddha Dharma traditions and uh, other, other traditions as well, and belong to that uh, wonderful uh, uh, seasoned body of the Sangha who has a very broad-ranging experience in, in all of these things, and if I may say, uh, all, all credit to you and all credit to everybody else who keeps the commitment 
and passion and flow for these things alive. And through the exposure, and I think an expansive spiritual life is an important exposure, obviously, one will begin to know and get a sense from teachings and ways of teaching that some teachers and teachings will emphasize the form that much more. They have benefited considerably from method, technique, the strictness, the discipline, the effort which is required for that, and that will manifest and reflect in the teachings. And there are other teachers in the various traditions and contemporary movements who will emphasize the formless and some, like ourselves, who makes some endeavor to integrate and bring both uh, uh, together, which could be regarded as beneficial, and it could be, well, you're neither one place nor the other, and you're, and you're just watering the whole thing down. And everybody has a view. So, in our own experience, sometimes we'll look and see and, and explore what feels useful and beneficial for us, but sometimes, some people, I notice, will be attracted to the thing which they spend more time with. And it's not unusual for very focused, concentrated, serious-minded people to be terribly attracted to very focused, concentrated, serious-minded people. And vice versa. So, in the looking at ourselves and our relationship, how is our relationship to form? What do we notice about that in our life? And Dharma teachings, sometimes, as I say, veer towards the form, why not? Veer towards the formless, again, uh, uh, why not? And can elevate one above the other. We sometimes hear the language of the formless as being the kind of what the ultimate truth is, which it isn't and never could be and never will be. And sometimes we hear the language one must be in the form. Strict religious forms, of course. Strict form of method and technique. And you then can be told, you must do this and do this exclusively. If you expand out, you're watering it down. If you expand out, you're not really serious. You're digging too many wells or whatever the analogy might, might be. What is this extraordinary factor of existence where we can be with the form and know the formless and when we're having difficulty with a form in life the first wish often as the expression of the difficulty is to get out of the form. Think of anything in your life which matters to you. And there's some pressure, maybe from within, or maybe from without, or both. The mo movement of the mind says, I'm going to get out of this situation. I want to get out of the form, either into another form, or into a formless. And life kind of gradually creeps up on us, and we can find ourselves, once again, repeating the same thing. 
with the form, supposing we were bold enough to say, let me not opt out of the form. Let me see what it is. Can I discover not a formlessness in the form? Can I discover an enlightened vision and outlook with the form? Can I discover a liberation which is so established it dissolves the substance of the form? I might call myself a teacher. I might call myself a parent. And I might use that vehicle as a small servant of others or as a small servant of one's child or whatever. But I don't perceive that the form is limiting. I just see it as an outflow of existence. I just see it as, as uh, a form to be respectful to, or whatever. But I don't see it as having a situation of being like a bird in a cage. I don't have that association with it. Whoever the eye is. So that we can see the thing for itself and not see it as an imprisonment. That means we need to explore and understand form and as the teachings have said to see, to understand the emptiness of form which is not getting out not avoiding not denying acknowledging, being with in a non-clinging abiding and all that is put into the shorthand it's called seeing the emptiness of form In the simple way, Christopher sits here, where is the teacher? Cross-legged? Words coming out of the mouth? Where, where, where? Show me. Can't find. Seeing the emptiness of the form and knowing that freedom ab abides with the form. Form doesn't have any authority to obscure freedom any more than the clouds have the authority to stop the sun from shining. Teachings are to bring an enlightenment to form. Similarly, and in a rather parallel way, there are times and periods, some people complain, not enough, but times and periods in our life where we have the experience of formlessness. In the meditative expressions, as we have spoken about, the open expansiveness, and in the obvious ways when there is some relief, in a way, from the form. As I mentioned, not, not you, nor I, not a Buddha, not anyone could and would want to abide morning, noon and night in a form. And we often say, I just need more time in my life. I need more space in my life. I need more expansion in my uh, life. Putting it in our language here, it's the wish for 
to have a sense of that formlessness where we don't have to concentrate again and again on the same thing. With that formlessness which, which takes place there, as I said, not method and technique, but the wish and the experience of a natural outgoing and ingoing connection in a wider way. We want to feel connected in a broader way because sometimes we know that with the form it does require focus, energy, concentration, attention and the application of all of that in natural, organic human life it needs the integration or the balance with formlessness. Is there in our life those genuine formless awarenesses in our life? When we're just in the nature and there's a simple appreciation of whatever is. It's not a relationship as often in the form of doing something to achieve something, to secure something, to make things easier or better for oneself or others. It's a formlessness which in a way is not asking anything of oneself and it's not asking nor demanding anything from the world. And there's a formlessness, there's an awareness there with a natural appreciation of. Nothing to be gotten from it in terms of feeding the self in any way whatsoever. Could that expansive awareness and that interconnectedness there, could we allow that to be steady enough in our life that the shift from formless to form is such that there's not a conflict of interest between the two? Could we discover an enlightened life, a liberated and free life, which the relationship between the form and the formless integrate together in a way of being comfortable in the movement between the two? Really know that sense of freedom with form and formlessness because life is linked and tied with all of that. And so sometimes the very spectrum of our retreat is revealing to us not only of who and what we are here and now, but the whole field of our existence in its form and formless terms. If you like get a deep and abiding sense of that, then liberation and awakened life, enlightenment, is such that it's clear and comfortable with the forms and formlessness of, the, of our existence. So clear and comfortable in the form called birth to death and the formless pre-birth and post-death, what's the difference? Even the form and the formless which can seem so dramatic have understood there, we embrace the form of life, we embrace the formless, 
before birth and after death, we've embraced both and we're not deluded by the forms, not deceived by them. <coughs> the distance, as it were, between life and death is nothing. And all of this we can discover. And it brings its own joy and its own uh, kindness in this world. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings go deeply into form and formlessness. May all beings live a free life. So let's have a couple of silent minutes together, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.